eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to you want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. boys are back, back. Excellent separation against man coverage. This it's Reception, Perception, the show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Kill, Matt Harmon here with you. You're listening to Reception, Perception, the show. All right. Uh, week two is now in the books, Matt Harmon. Um, a lot of what we thought we knew, and this always happens in football, but the, a lot of stuff that we, we thought we knew, maybe we don't know uh, as well. I think the Jaguars certainly come to mind in that regard. But uh, the NFL never ceases to surprise. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I know Adam Harstead from Football Guys has done a lot of work that typically right up until about week four, uh, ADP remains like our best from like a fantasy standpoint, like our best uh, predictive value that we have because things tend to sort of end up going how we expect them to go. Um, You know, there's obviously always outliers. There's always certain things that don't fall to that expectation. And then once we get to about week five, that's when we sort of like rest like current results are then more predictive of like the way yeah. things are going to go. So um, that's just always important to remember, you know, whether it's fantasy, whether it's NFL, that like this first chapter of the season can be, you know, extremely misleading, uh, can be extremely like you can get lied to, right? I mean, in a, and it's so hard to not overreact to week one, right? Because <laughs> things come right. out and you're all amped up about this stuff and then like it doesn't oh, yeah. go. But you know, I was talking about this with the receiver position especially. Like I, I joked about this on, on X or Twitter or whatever. Um, still don't quite know what to call it. And I'm sure it's annoying for me to always keep calling it both <laughs> things. But um, joked around yeah. about it. They're like, I want to hold a monthly – and maybe we need to do this on the podcast, James. Like a okay. monthly – uh, meeting a monthly seminar 
to remind people that wide receiver production is extremely volatile. Uh, and it doesn't matter who <laughs> right. you are. doesn't matter like what range of the wide receiver position you fall on. Some guys are going to have slow games and then they can come around and have massive games like right afterwards because um, the margin for error is so thin. Right. Uh, right. You know, guys get like DPI penalties and then it moves all the way down the field. And, you know, right. it's, it's a victim right. of circumstance. Right. That's why, uh, you know, I do what I do watching these guys and charting these guys is because I think that's really where you're going to find the truth and who a player is and what they're really doing. But, yeah, um, yeah we, we, we just forget about it in the offseason. Then as soon as like the real game smack us into the face, it's like. Ah, Jahan Dotson has 22 <laughs> yards. It's over for Jahan Dotson. It's like, well, you know, it's two. It's like we're at. It's one game, right. okay? Right. You know, just because right. he hasn't like right. scored a touchdown yet or crossed 50 yards doesn't mean it's over for him. And like this is how his whole season's gonna go. So, um, just it's it's just funny that we forget that, especially guys. I mean, like damn Jahan Dotson, who's a number two on his team. You know, yeah. in a Sam Howell offense. Like, yeah, you're gonna have big weeks. You're gonna have bad weeks. Uh, for sure. That's just how this thing goes. Well, I mean, you think about the sample size of wide receivers. It's not like running backs who get, you know, anywhere between 15 to 20 touches, right? It's like, right. hey, listen, <clears throat> which, by the way, the ball is actually getting handed to them. It's placed in their hands, right? So wide receivers, it's like, you know, uh, you know, you talk about sample size. I mean, you know, some guys, I mean, look at Marvin Mims. My dude ran five routes. No, okay. He made most of those five routes. <laughs> oh, my dude ran five routes. It was absolutely crushing it on those five routes. But it, it's easy to see how small sample size that could either be a huge game or it could be a nothing game. I mean, Marvin Mibbs could have came out and, and gave you zero on yeah. five routes. Totally. Uh, it, it's very simple to do. So, no, it's a, it's a sample size problem, especially when we go game to game. When we start talking about the good players, you know, uh, anywhere over, you know, 150 targets. Well, okay, now that's stretched out over 150 targets. Well, that's that's different, right? So now we got a yeah. much larger sample size. But yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it's really hard not to like overreact to certain things and you know uh, get crazy with some stuff. But you know what? Uh, that's why this podcast exists, man, Harmon, to kind of sort of sift through, you know, the the things that uh, that we try to detach emotion. Uh, from some of these things. All right. Uh, we normally talk about wide receivers here, but I, I do want to kind of talk about the Saquon injury because that did just break here uh, right before we uh, jumped on this podcast. Uh, it's very fresh in our minds here. But now uh, Saquon Barkley is supposed to be out the next three weeks with a, a low ankle sprain. By the way, that one surprised me. I'm like, I, I read the first part. Saquon Barkley, mm-hmm. low, low ankle sprain. I'm like, all right, cool. So he has a chance. And then it was like, no, now he's out for the next three weeks. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, How bad was his ankle sprain, bro? Like the guy's walking around and stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad, but apparently it's really, really bad. Three weeks with an ankle sprain. That's tough. Uh, very tough, especially for an offense that hasn't uh, really looked that good for six quarters. Uh, yeah. of the season so far right it's it's almost like the cardinals woke up at halftime like somebody came to jonathan gannon at halftime like hey 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 <laughs> what are we're not supposed to be winning games this year uh what right. are we doing here like let's right. let the giants come back in this one um actually i was watching this game with my brother-in-law and he was uh, halfway through the the second quarter or something he was like yeah the giants will come back and win this game i was like i don't think so so um shout wow. out that was a hell of a prediction he, he nailed that hell one yeah but yeah, no, it's it's tough. I mean, it happens at the end of the game for Saquon too, and the Giants' offense to me has basically looked the entire way like a unit that's still trying to figure itself out, which is troubling considering that I think they got into a pretty good groove with an identity last year, 
Yeah, uh, but then they, they try to add some new wrinkles and add some new pieces. And I think, I think that the Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka coaching staff didn't want to be, and I, I understand why they didn't want to be as like run heavy and as conservative as they were last year. So they add some of these receiver pieces. They add Darren Waller. But, you know, it's not like they really add any difference makers, right? Like Darren Waller, I think at his peak is a difference maker, but he's dealing with this hamstring injury that might nag him all season long. And people have brought up nerves, you know, like the nerve, like Mm -hmm. nerve damage and stuff like that. So uh, this is pretty concerning, too, for uh, the Giants don't have like, you know, obviously Alexander Madison is starting right now. And he's not going it's not going very well for him. But right. Like it was always. Oh, when Dalvin Cook misses time, like Alexander Madison plucks in there and we just, yep, boom, go forward with like like 90% of what we were getting from Dalvin Cook. I don't think the Giants have anybody like that. So this is definitely a troubling injury for sure. How dare you disrespect the name of Matt Breida and Gary Brightwell in such a way? Eric Gray. I mean... No, I mean, I'm, I'm joking here, but honestly, uh, you know, obviously the Giants are hoping uh, that they get a little something, something uh, out of their their running back group there. I don't know. We'll see uh, if that is the case. You know, it's interesting to me, right, because of all the contract issues, certainly um, that will be talked about during this three week layoff here for Saquon Barkley. We're going to find out which camp is right over the next three weeks, right? Um, or at least we'll we'll think we know who is right <laughs> over the next three weeks. And, and and that's the thing, like, you know, these um, don't pay running back truthers or whatever. They're very entrenched. It doesn't even matter. But Brita and, 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 and Brightwell could average, you know, 0.7 yards a carry. It doesn't matter. Don't pay Saquon, right? Mm-hmm. And and then on the other side, you know, the, these old school football heads of just, you got to play your good players. Uh, which, by the way, I, I'm not an old school football head, but I do think, yeah, paying your good players probably good. You know, it's good, it's good for the team. Uh, it's good for team morale, to be honest with you, uh, to to pay your good players. So that's that's interesting. But no, but over the next three weeks, though, uh, Saquon is going to be out, and um, and yeah, man, we're going to find out what this team is really made of because last year, and Matt, I think you would agree with me, this team was really built on the back of Saquon Barkley carrying the offense, man. Yeah, led the team in targets, you know, and and just that he's kind of that gravitational force for them. And this also comes on the back. Did you see this report today that the NFL is filing a grievance against the NFLPA over allegations that the union advised running backs to consider quote feigning or exaggerating Mm. injuries to gain leverage in contract talks and seeking an order for the union to quote cease and desist from such improper conduct. Um, The NFLPA obviously flatly denied that and said, of course, ridiculous and without merit. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's it goes back to what when I started this conversation, Matt, I said, oh, it's a low ankle sprain. I thought he was going to be have a chance and then he doesn't have a chance. The dude's out three weeks. OK, so I, I don't I'm not I'm not saying I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, I, I it's like I got that notification and then it was not but like 20 minutes later that the Schefter tweet and MRI showed that Giants running back Saquon Barkley suffered a, quote, ordinary ankle sprain. And I'm right. with you that right there. I was like. Oh cool. oh, cool. Like yeah. so I mean he's definitely not going to play Thursday night cuz that game's just right. too soon, but then exactly. oh you read the second half that now is expected to sideline him <laughs> for 3 weeks per source. Uh, I mean shoot man, it just I'm not saying that this is happening, you know, but I know that's what I mean. It's definitely interesting this whole the whole thing is is very very interesting. 
um, what's going on right now. And just, you know, I mean, I can't necessarily blame these guys. This was one thing no, I thought. I don't blame them when, at all. Yeah, like when, when guys like Saquon and guys like Eckler and guys like Josh Jacobs, you know, when people were talking about, well, what do we do with them in fantasy like early on in the year? It was like, to me, it's not – like they're all going to show up week one, okay? Everybody's going to oh, show yeah. up week oh, one yeah. and they're oh, going to yeah. play. You know, I think if Jonathan Taylor – I don't know. Taylor's a whole other discussion, but he's oh, obviously boy. not playing, but he's on the PUP. So right. theoretically, he's hurt and he's physically unable to perform. That's why he's on the PUP. All these other guys that are healthy, they're going to be playing week one. But it was okay. But the risk of it might be all right. Well, yep, I'm not. I'm not totally a hundred percent healthy. Normally, I'd go at eighty percent or eighty five percent. But for you people, I don't want to go at eighty five percent. So I, that is definitely a little like mm, I'm raising my eyebrows at that. Uh, even if I don't, I'm not accusing these guys of feigning injuries or anything. But I would totally buy it if they didn't want to give a hundred percent for a team that didn't want that's not giving a hundred percent back to them. So. The whole running back market thing is really interesting. This whole Saquon thing, I, I just don't know what this Giants offense looks like um, without him. I mean, they're going to have to figure out something in the passing game. That's what's going to be really interesting. Actually, thinking about Saquon, this actually happened to him, I believe, two years ago. Maybe it was three seasons ago, but I think he had a high ankle sprain, came back really fast, and then tried to basically grind out yep. the rest of the season. Right. And um, and yeah, I think I think you're right. You hit it right on the head. You know, if the team is is telling you they don't truly appreciate your talents um, and they're not fully committed to you. Well, man, what what are you expecting from the player back, you know, in these kind of situations? So I don't know. Like I said, I'm not sitting here saying he's, you know, exaggerating the injury or exaggerating the injury timeline or whatever it is. I, I, I just, you know, who knows what the hell it looks like. Right. But certainly. Um, with all of the extra stuff that is happening around this whole running back situation, and in particular, Saquon Barkley and the Giants. Um, certainly some eyebrows are going to be raised, and certainly there's going to be a lot of talk, I'm sure, in, in New York markets about uh, the, the the validity of the injury and all those kind of things, man. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what happens. And I'll tell you what, Matt, I, I'm interested to see if they go a little bit more you know, maybe a little bit more up-tempo. Maybe they go a little bit more vertical. Maybe they try to get a little crazy with their passing game. I mean, Jalen Hyatt only ran 11 routes last mm-hmm. uh, in this in this past game against the Cardinals. You know, I could see his, you know, uh, stock on the rise here a little bit. 11 routes, two targets, two grabs, 89 yards. Come on now. I mean, he showed you why uh, he was an extreme vertical player over at Tennessee and why the Giants uh, decide to, to take him in the draft. So, yeah, man, I, they're going to need players like Hyatt, like Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, Dar- Darren Waller to kind of sort of step up here. Yeah, and I think they need Daniel Jones to step up as well, right? Like that's the thing is I think he played well in the second half. He just plays well when he can just kind of run, like c- just cut it loose, you know? Um, yeah, right. I think he does play. And that's why I think Jalen Hyatt will continue to be a really important player for this offense because if you're going to cut it loose to somebody, why not cut it loose to the guy that can really right? rip you downfield, which is obviously Jalen Hyatt. So he's going to remain somebody that is sort of in in the centerpiece there. Um, it, maybe they don't play him a full amount of routes because they just trust Darius Slayton more. They trust Isaiah Hodgins more. And I totally get that. And I understand that just based on Hyatt's like routes and his portfolio from his collegiate days. But uh, yeah. again, I think he'll have to be an important part of this offense if they're just going to look for that next dimension without Saquon Barkley. Um, yeah, it's, it's the thing with the Giants. Again, it just. They're not too, especially without Saquon now. I mean, oh my God, right? Like I'm watching the Patriots last night 
Yeah. And I'm like, you know, the Patriots have competent, acceptable, viable NFL players at all of their spots, right? Like, okay. Devontae Parker is an acceptable X receiver. Um, mm-hmm. He, uh, Kendrick Bourne is an acceptable flanker. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I mean, his knee is, you know, a whole nother thing, but he is theoretically an acceptable slot receiver. Uh, Hunter Henry is an acceptable NFL tight end, but they don't have one dude there that like makes you piss your pants. You know, they don't have one (laughs) guy that's like, ooh, Uh we really need to account for him. And, you know, the Giants without Saquon Barkley, are they not the same thing here where 100%. I, I think that uh, Darius Slayton is an acceptable speed flanker. I think Isaiah Hodgins is an acceptable X receiver. I think Paris Campbell is an acceptable slot. Um, Darren, Darren Waller, like again, he should be a difference maker, but if he's not healthy, same thing we just talked about with right. Juju. If he's not healthy, like Absolutely. that's just where he's at. And I think they're kind of in that boat. And I think if you have that player, if you have that setup, then you need a quarterback who's going to really move the needle because like right. as good as Mac Jones is, he's just – He's going to be a guy that can run and execute an adult offense. I think he's shown mm-hmm. that, and I, I, I'm kind of like I think Daniel Jones can do that same thing. And they just kind of need to let Daniel Jones like cut it loose, right? Because yeah. that's I think when he's playing his best. Um, so I don't know. I think with all of these offenses that just lack like an ace in the hole, lack like a difference maker, I just worry that they get really stuck. Like again, you just get stuck on a on a ceiling of like you're the 16th best offense in the NFL. And I think that's not where the Giants are right now. Right. And unfortunately, if you're going to be the 16th best offense in the NFL, you need to have a top five defense to start winning these ball games, right? You got to win some close, close, low scoring games. That's just not necessarily what the Giants have here uh, on both sides of the football. Okay. Um, You did a profile piece on Isaiah Hodgins Uh, very quickly. Can I pick your brain on Hodgins? What does he bring to the table? 29 routes run. Uh, was the fourth most on the team on Sunday. Five targets, four receptions, 40 uh, 40 yards, and a touchdown grab. Uh, This guy came through a little bit late in the season, showed some flashes. You charted him from his production last last year, rather. What did you find? Yeah, I think last year he was... He showed that he can play, right? Like uh, what what we just talked about, that he can be an acceptable, viable X receiver. Um, you know, we throw the Devonte Parker access around an awful lot on this show. And mm-hmm. that's why, cause I think he is like, all right, if Devonte Parker is your X receiver, you're not a joke of an offense. Um, you're not running out. Like, I mean, you're a joke of an offense. If you're running out, Matt Patricia is your coordinator, but that was a separate issue with the Patriots last year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so right. I think, I think, I think Hodgins kind of fits in that bucket, right? Like, um, 67% success rate versus man. That's not an, ex- that's not an exciting number, but it's certainly solid. Um, it's kind of right in the range of the league average showed pretty well against press. Um, only saw press on 8.6% of his routes, but did come in with a 77.8% success rate. That was probably, I would say the best number from his, um, from his reception perception sample. But right. I think he showed you a, a guy that has good hands, a guy that can run quality routes in the intermediate area. I also kind of thought some of his best stuff is when they'd have him run choice routes uh, in like actually from the slot. Like I'm thinking about that playoff win against the Vikings, but you know, it just showed he's a guy that can play, but he's not a difference maker. He's not a superstar. He's just like a solid quality NFL player. 
Yeah, interesting numbers on some of these routes. Um, 80% success rate on the curl route, which I thought was uh, pretty good, uh, especially given the type of player that he is. 75% success rate on the post. That's that's pretty solid. Uh, 47% on the nine. That That's a, a little bit below average. And then 40% uh, yeah. on the corner, also uh, pretty below average if you take a look at the rest of the NFL. So he's got some things that he can do in the intermediate area. He, he's got some things that he can kind of sort of do um, as an in-breaking deeper receiver, right, Matt? But um, but overall, he's got does have some. Uh, as you mentioned, he's not. I don't think he's great anywhere. He he's acceptable no. in a lot of different spots, but um, but maybe not. Doesn't have that that a trademark route run or a trademark quality about him that that can separate him from other receivers. Yeah, the thing I disliked about him is the reliability. You know, um, like I mentioned, choice routes where he's gonna kind of look at the leverage of, of the coverage and and hope that it gives you the right range for him to either break to that inside route or kind of come back yeah. to the quarterback as that ISO receiver on the backside or, or on the front side, depending on the play call. And I think, I think he, again, he showed that he could do that type of stuff. And the hands, his hands are good. He's got good hands. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what he showed last year when he played. So I think that's what makes me interested in him is, again, just that reliable skill set because I don't think that Darius Slayton has proven to be a consistent pro. I don't think – like he'll give you these great games and he'll like kind of have suspect games. I think that um, Paris Campbell has definitely not been the picture of reliability. You know, he runs routes to <laughs> depth. He's, he's not consistently on the field. Yeah, right. He's he's definitely in that, in that sort of bucket, right? So I, I think that if we're looking at somebody that could just be reliable and, and look, they're going to need reliability with – Saquon Barkley out of the mix. I, right. I think Isaiah Hodgins makes sense. And then hopefully you get enough splashy plays from the rest of these guys, especially like a, a Jalen Hyatt, of course. I think people are going to be really interested in because he just yeah. so clearly – and this is the funny thing about Hyatt, right? It, 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 he was labeled as like a first-round pick, and it's like, oh, well, this guy's got so much room to go. Like, is he yeah. a first-round pick? Like, I don't know. If he just tops out at like Ted Ginn, that's the best-case scenario – Ah, is that really worth a first round pick? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so clear he can like obviously play, right? Like he can he can play football. You know, you don't do the stuff he did in college if you just absolutely can't play. So then he goes in the third round, and it's like, oh my god, this is great! Like now, if yeah, you get Ted right, Ginn in the right. third round, he has this right. long career of like taking the top. That's great stuff. So that's the funny thing about Jalen Hyde. It's just like measuring those expectations. I think will be key with him, especially early in his career. So. I don't know. The Giants just have. I just, I just, I, they just leave a lot to be desired right now from an offensive perspective. He's the only guy, Jalen Hyatt, that is can potentially be a difference maker. He's certainly somebody that they're hoping can take the lid off of a defense, and even if it's just something as simple as clearing it out for guys like Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins to work in in those intermediate areas of the field, which I believe is a good area of the field for them. <clears throat> and I, and by the way, I love the intermediate area of the field. Like that's where you make your money in the NFL, right? So if Daniel Jones can start throwing those passes and, and getting those boys involved and Jalen Hyatt every now and again, you know, making a splash play over the top, let's go. Let's go. I think Daniel Jones is, uh, I think he's developed a little bit too. I, I really like what I saw there in week number two. And obviously he's working with a great offensive Monday head coach in Brian Dable. All right, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about Jamar Chase here, Matt. Um, reason for concern, uh, or is this just a two-game sample blip? Uh, what are your thoughts here on Jamar? Obviously, the quarterback in Joe Burrow, not 100% right now, but what should we expect from Jamar moving forward? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I have charted out Jamar Chase's first game. Uh, haven't gotten to the one from yesterday just yet. You know, I think he played fine. Like, I think it was it was a good game for him. You know, against a man coverage heavy defense. I know yesterday, like, I think you there were opportunities for him to make plays. Uh, he let one, you know, Rocky Asin kind of body him up and like take out rip out a ball where he he let it slip out of his hands. Basically, a failed contested catch in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Probably should have made yeah. that play, but. I mean, overall, I, I wouldn't say that Jamar Chase has been the biggest problem for the Bengals. I think the biggest no. problem for the Bengals is like their quarterback right now is just so clearly not 100%. And, you know, I think we, I would have come on this podcast seven days ago last week and been like, oh, you know, we, I know we talked about Derek Classen's profile with uh, with Joe Burrow. And I'm, I'm sure that I said like, yeah, you know, this is not good, but like it'll be fine eventually. Like I'm not feeling panicked about the Bengals. I don't know. A full week here later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm right. not feeling I'm not feeling as good, especially because nope. now, you, you know, Burrow is is day to day again with this calf injury. He reaggravated. Right. You see him doing like the little massage gun thing on the sideline on the calf. Right. That's right. disconcerting. Um, the betting line moves from like Rams plus six on uh, Monday Night Football in week three to Rams plus two. Like mm. clearly the, the lines are moving because maybe there's a lot of question about whether Burrow's going to play. And, you know, dude, I just can't get out of my head. Jamar Chase unprompted saying in training camp, I don't want to yep. see Joe Burrow until week five. Like I don't need exactly. to see him until week five, which was a random day. Like, I mean, a totally. random week. Made yep. no sense. I remember. I'm sure I talked about it on this podcast. Or yeah, or we talked about podcast. it. Like, yeah, we sure. talked about it. It's which yeah, is we so random, <laughs> so random to say week right. five. You yeah. know, um, but I just now I can't get that out of my head, bro. And and the thing that especially bothers me too. And this is less from like a you know, I think at some point if these guys are both healthy and they're on the field, it'll be fine. But when is that going to happen? At this point, when is that going to happen? And then, by the way, if it's not going to be in week three, is it going to be in week four? Is it then going to be in week five? Are we going to get to like the middle of the season? And yo, the Bengals, if you're a Bengals fan, you're already 0-2. And not just you're not just 0-2, you dropped two games to division rivals. And this right. is the AFC where there's a thin margin for error because there's so many quality teams. I mean, some of these teams already don't look that great, right? Like 
Aaron Rodgers is out of the mix. They're back to the Zach Wilson BS. The Chargers oh. are still the Chargers. Uh, oh, the Broncos are still. The Broncos are still the Broncos. Um, all, there's plenty of things that have just not changed from year to year, but still, it's a it's a hard road to to walk in a tough division. You can't afford to just drop to zero and three if you don't start Joe Burrow on Monday Night Football. But like, if Joe Burrow is not right, you need to get him out of there at this point. So, um, all that to say, I don't feel as good about the Bengals as I thought I'd be after week two. <laughs> Listen, bro, we're going from J- if we're going from Joe Burrow to Jake Browning or whoever it's going to be uh, for the Bengals, I have to look this up. I'm like, who <clears throat> who is the Bengals backup? Court? There are certain teams where you don't even look at the backup, right? Like like Kansas City. You don't even look at the backup. Like who cares what the backup is? You don't. It doesn't matter. Uh, I had to look this up. Uh, the, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, one of those teams where it's like, I don't even care who the backup is, you know, and here he is, Jake Browning. Uh, they had Trevor Simeon in the offseason and they cut him. Uh, right. I remember, I remember looking at that. So, um, yeah, didn't Jake Browning play? I mean, you should have a Jake Browning yeah. mm-hmm. uh, scouting report because he played at Washington. Played at right? Washington. That's right. Absolutely. There was a long stretch there where Jake Browning, where early on in his collegiate career, people were like, "Man, this guy's for sure playing on Sundays." Man, this guy's got great this, that, and this other thing. And then as his kind of career kind of wore on, you kind of saw all the warts. Uh, kind of pop up in his game profile. I think he's got an average arm. He doesn't have a great arm, but uh, but again, this is a this is a player, Jake Browning, that did have a lot of expectations put on his plate early on in his uh, collegiate career. I don't know. We'll see. Um, again, Jake Browning out of Washington, his first season. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I know it's going to be tough. I, and to be honest with you, I don't even know if he's the, the the real backup. You know, he's listed as a backup, but who knows uh, what Cincinnati would do at the quarterback position if on if. The worst case scenario, you know, J- uh, Joe Burrow, you know, has to miss some time here. So I don't know, man. We'll see. I'm with you. Uh, maybe after week one, I wasn't too, too worried. Uh, but now after week two, it's like, nah, the red flags are out. The alarm bells are ringing, man. And um, and yeah, there is a lot to worry about there um, in Cincinnati. OK, uh, I want to know, Matt Harmon, in Jacksonville. What, which one, what's the real team? I, I mean, what are we talking about? Which one was the fluke week? Let's throw that mm-hmm. out there. Which one was the fluke week? Week one or week two? Because I'll tell you what, week one, man, we, we came on this podcast. We came on this show, man, riding high on Trevor Lawrence, Calvin Ridley, <laughs> man. We're saying, oh boy, this one-two combination looking nice. And then week two against Kansas City, I mean, come on. Ridley disappeared. Trevor Lawrence didn't look great. And the Jaguars offense just absolutely sputtered against what I think is a very average uh, NFL defense in the Kansas City Chiefs. So let me ask you, which one was the fluke week? Hmm. I mean, are you going to be really mad at me if I say the truth is somewhere in the middle? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I think that's the right answer. I think that's probably the right answer. But... But again, week two was so bad, and week one was so good, though. You right, know what I mean? Right. So which one was more of the the variance, uh, you know, if you want to put it a different way? Which one was more, you know, to be more expected, and which one is to be less expected? I think that I think that we won't see games like, like we saw in week two that often because, you know, you said that, okay, the Chiefs are not a good defense. I would push back a little bit on that because they did get Chris Jones back there. True. Um, and and that makes a big difference. And I think if Jacksonville has an Achilles heel right now, 
It's that they um, they don't have a great offensive line. They're not really able to consistently establish like a, a steady ground game with Travis Etienne. It's been very, very like boom or bust so far um, for Travis Etienne. I think that has been problematic. I think also that you know Trevor Lawrence. It, it, they've they've taken a lot of sacks, right? Six sacks so far this season. Not not a ton, but still, like this is a guy that is not a statue quarterback, right? Like they're not expecting him to just sit in the pocket and get blasted. They're expecting right. more improvisational stuff. Um, some of that is is definitely been a problem. It's also worth noting too. This is kind of quietly flown under the radar, but you know, Doug Peterson has apparently passed play calling duties off to Press Taylor, um, hmm. who has followed him around forever but uh you know has never truly been like the guy in in the as the offense coordinator like doug peterson called the plays last year they're trying to give press taylor a shot at it because there are a lot of people that will, will speak very very highly of press taylor as like a rising offensive star in the league uh so far through two weeks i wouldn't say we've totally seen it so um because there are even moments in week one where there were hiccups um, you know, there were like quarters where they went quiet. They went off really yeah. hot with Calvin Ridley right away. And then it took a minute um, to kind of get rolling again. You know, Zay Jones left a lot of plays on the field I w- in week two. I mean, it, could, it couldn't have gotten more drastic the week one to week two sort of uh, Good Lord. difference there, you know, with, right. between him and Christian Kirk, like the split of work. So I, I think that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but there are a lot of things kind of working on the periphery right now. So yeah, we talked about it on the on the show too, where we just said, look, if you're freaking out about you know Christian Kirk, maybe don't do that because it felt like to me, um, where Ridley was going to be the alpha, and you knew he was going to get steady work. Obviously, it proved not to be true there in week number two, uh, but that that there would be you know these wild swing games for for Zay Jones and Christian Kirk, just depending on who made uh, splash plays. Look, we saw Zay Jones make a splash play there in week one, that touchdown grab that he had tough catch, man, really good catch by Zay Jones, but you can't rely on those week to week. And then Christian Kirk just getting absolutely pounded, pounded with targets here uh, in week number two. I I think that one was a little bit of a surprise. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, The fact that Calvin Ridley again, ran 34 routes, which was the tie for the second most uh, and saw eight targets with just two grabs and 32 yards. Man, that is a big-time surprise. Christian Kirk, meanwhile, ran a team-leading 38 routes, 14 targets, 11 receptions, 110 through the air. So, again, Matt Harmon, I know the truth is somewhere in the middle, but, man, what a revival here for Christian Kirk. Yeah, and this is the thing about Christian Kirk. Like He, I think, is a better NFL player than Zay Jones, which is why I wasn't totally ready to, after week one, just be like, oh, it's over for Christian Kirk, and like Zay Jones is the number two. Um, right. I, like, I just think Christian Kirk from the slot perspective, you know, and, and um, Doug Peterson talked a lot going into the game about how um, there are certain schemes, especially like man-heavy schemes, where Christian Kirk can be a guy they lean on, um, especially because like, Christian Kirk manned up against a slot corner, like your run-of-the-mill slot corner, he's probably going to have the matchup advantage there because he's just like a very good vertical player, so he can make those plays downfield. So, yeah, it was definitely a good revival for him, and and like he runs the most routes on the team. That was great to see. Right. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not totally panicked about um, the Jaguars' offense. I think there's just – there's going to be weeks where they don't look this good because of the offensive line, especially against defenses that can kind of put pressure on them. And, like, the that's one thing, too. The um, <laughs> the damn – the damn uh, – 
the damn Colts are just not going to be a big test for any team right now. So I think this was a test against a real defense in Kansas City, and that that's going to be a little bit more telling, I think. Yeah, um, there is something to that that Legarius Sneed maybe you know was tracking a, a little bit more of Calvin Ridley, so it, you know kind of funneled some more defenses or whatever towards or p- targets rather towards Christian Kirk. I, you know, I could buy some of that those arguments, but man, it was. I, I just thought it was a very stark contrast. By the way, where were all the points that we were promised in this game, man? <laughs> you I know. know, it was the highest over under to- point total of the week at fifty one. Ended up being seventeen to nine. Oh my goodness! And and listen, the broadcast is trying to say like, oh hey, look, the heat, it's so hot. Jacksonville. I don't know. I mean, about come all on. That. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, stop feeding me that, dude. Come on, man. These are pro NFL players here. I don't need to be hearing about the heat and how it's impacted the game to this degree, man. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So these um, are two and- teams, by the way. It's just worth noting when when we're talking about the bringing back to the Press Taylor thing. Same yeah. thing on the other side of the ball uh, with uh, Matt Nagy taking over for Eric Bieniemy. And I, I know we t- like it's just easy to say Andy Reid is there. Andy Reid is there. Andy Reid is there. Right. But, you know, how much was Bien- it with like, I think, by the way, I think Washington's offenses look pretty decent for the first two weeks. Um, they're mm-hmm. 2-0. and It hasn't been perfect with Sam Howell, but considering the context of their breaking in a, a day three draft pick uh, in his right. third NFL start, I think their game against Denver was pretty encouraging. So I think just altogether, it's, it's, uh, it just might be something to like give these couple, these teams a couple of, couple of weeks here to get fully operational and there's been more than enough positive signs from both of them um like i think getting travis kelsey back was nice you know sky Moore goes 70 yards and a touchdown he made a couple of really nice big plays um so it's just going to take a minute i think for these offenses to get fully firing especially because i guess they're breaking in these two um these two offensive coordinators who were not playing these roles last season Travis Kelsey, as it should be mentioned, too, I know he made his return, but he only ran 23 routes. Now, he did see nine targets on those 23 routes. Shock. Gives you an idea of how much Patrick Mahomes missed his guy, man, but but certainly was not fully integrated uh, into that offense uh, as of yet, and I'm sure as he gets healthier, uh, we'll see this Chiefs offense kind of sort of take form. So, um, so yeah, I, I think there is a little bit of that. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm I'm a I'm a little bit uh, scratching my head in regards to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I thought it was going to be a high scoring game there in week number two. Obviously, that was not the case. All right, I want to go all the way back. I mean, here we are. We're recording on a Monday afternoon, but I want to go all the way back here to Thursday night football here. Uh, Matt Harmon, a uh, lot of wide receiver, interesting wide receiver storylines in this one. No. Yeah, for sure. For one, uh, on the Minnesota side, like this was just a great wide receiver game in general, right? Like we get Justin really Jefferson and like one of the best receiver duos in the NFL working, and like right. Jordan Addison. You know, I wouldn't say that Jordan Addison's been flawless so far as a rookie. I think there are some some issues, uh, like that I've seen crop up. Nothing too specific or like anything worth freaking out about. But you know, they're they're playing KJ Osborne more than him. I think that will change at mm-hmm. some point, but. Um, I'll tell you what, though, Addison can make big plays that it's not quite the same because it was like a busted screenplay where, um, you know, Addison runs the route and to his credit, runs it at full speed, runs it hard. And Kirk, to his credit, takes a shot on it. But that Jordan Addison touchdown literally could not be more like carbon copy from some of the routes that he ran, like made big plays on at USC and and back at Pitt Uh too. Uh, Like that 
like big post route, big over route. He made plays against man coverage on those routes all the time. So I just always think that's interesting. Like we're going to talk about Puka Nakua and how he just looks a lot like Puka Nakua at BYU. Um, that was such like a Jordan Addison collegiate play. And it's just always nice to see like that cleanly translate for players. You know, obviously Justin Jefferson's on a tear. I think they do need someone else to step up there. But I want to talk about the, the Eagles a little bit because it's funny. There's been like a little bit of like A.J. Brown, like what's going on with A.J. Brown, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it, it, is Devonta Smith sort of passing him up? I don't know if I would say that, but he's Devonta Smith is a really, really good player. Like, uh-huh. it's not as if it should be surprising that Devonta Smith has had these big catches in in a, in the last couple of games. I mean, especially on Thursday night, he gets the one like fifty four yard reception, takes him all the way down inside the um, inside the ten yard line. I right. charted that game out. AJ Brown is wide ass open on the other side of the field too. By the way, so it's not as if like AJ Brown is playing poorly. He's beating man coverage. He's doing his job, and then. You look at the volume metrics for these guys; it's almost identical, man. Like I when, know, I know. You know, it's crazy. Isn't that isn't that just like such an indicator that at some point it's going to break for for yep. AJ Brown? You know, who 100%. has a forty five point seven percent air yard share to forty five point three percent for uh, Devonta Smith. Uh, the the routes are pretty similar. The target share is is literally identical. They both have fifteen targets on the season. You know, I think Jalen Hurts is sort of kind of trying to. He's not a hundred percent like firing on all cylinders so far this year so maybe that's got something to do with it and lastly i just wanted to make a point james people getting all up in arms about aj brown like you know talking to jalen hurts on the sideline and oh there's this dispute they have to be separated people what like honestly james these people should just like (laughs) shut the hell up and read a gossip (laughs) magazine honestly (laughs) like that's if that's what you find interesting about a football game like go yeah go go to your grocery store and and pick up one of the tabloids like maybe that's for you instead of football okay because like you have no idea i love people like well he shouldn't be over there complaining about his targets while they're winning the game number one you don't know what he's saying to jalen hurts he could be saying he could be saying Hey, I actually think my matchup over here is favorable, and you haven't looked this way. Uh, by the way, in case you missed it, uh, he had a big play that clearly was pass interference and didn't get called, and then two actually scored a touchdown right after this, and that was called back because Rashad Penny was holding. So yeah, you might have been right to point that out. And two, like they're not winning by a hundred points; they'd like to be <laughs> winning by more. <laughs> so like this, people making a bit like imagine getting worked up at something like that. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. I, I think AJ Brown is like getting some unfair scrutiny both for the on-field results and for that stuff. I just think it's going to clearly be a big week for this guy, at, literally at any point. I think this next coming week, if if we don't see a hundred yards and a touchdown from AJ Brown, I would be shocked. I'm telling you, they are gonna they are gonna do some things to just get the ball to AJ Brown, man. It's gonna happen. You know, as you mentioned, all the volume metrics are so similar. Um, it's a little bit different though from last year where AJ Brown they had similar target numbers overall, uh, but the air yard share was flipped a little bit uh, in that regards, right? So last year, AJ Brown saw about 40% of the team's air yard share, and then Devontae Smith saw about 30% of the team's air yard share. So I, I would say that, you know, AJ Brown, and it, visually it makes sense too, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of these deep moonshots or whatever down the sideline. You see that a little bit more for AJ Brown, you know, some more intermediate area routes for, for Devontae Smith, right? So, Okay. Now that being said, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Who knows what the hell they were talking about on the sideline? But <clears throat> I will say this, though, Matt. I, I mean, it's there's degrees to it, right? Like, it's not the full Elijah Moore, right? So the counterpoint <laughs> no. to, to what you're saying is it's not the full Elijah Moore, right? But certainly it's on that access of, you know, whatever's happening. The Elijah Moore, of like, they're winning. They're literally winning games. <laughs> and then Elijah Moore's post game is, is like, yo, I need to see more targets. Okay. Like I get, yeah, it. you know, like yeah. that there's, it's, we're not, we're not fully there yet. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, certainly it, it's an interesting, it's at least an interesting look on the sideline. It doesn't, the optics of it, I think we can agree. Don't look that great. Now I'm not saying it looks horrible or anything. I'm just saying it doesn't look, does it, it's not pristine. You know, we're not, we're yeah, not. but you see, you have to be assuming that you know what is being said here. Like that's what true. I'm saying, and that you are you are assuming, and I think this is wide receiver stereotyping, and a lot of times it's it's just the truth, right? That the, this is what's going on there. But like we said at the top of the show with Saquon Barkley, like Saquon Barkley's getting the ball put in his hands when he's on the field, and it's a run play. Like that is what's going to happen. When yep. you're a receiver, if you feel like you're winning those matchups and you can make a difference for your team and for whatever reason it's not coming your way, like, yeah, look, and, and that's that's the thing that I'm that I'm saying here is, like, the Vikings were not completely out of that game. Like, if no, A.J. No, Brown, no, and no. I, like I said, I think A.J. Brown is no. right. He, he clearly had the matchup advantage there. You know, you want to go ahead and you want to make that – you want to – Put the dagger in the heart, you know, and they can do that by running the ball, but they can also do that by throwing the ball over the top, you know, to a guy like AJ Brown and just end that thing, ice that thing. So what I and that's a, that's the thing. If he's over there saying that, I have no problem with it. Now, if he's over there saying like, "How fucking dare you throw to you know Devonte Smith and not to me?" <laughs> then it would be a problem. That, but I think there's problem. probably a net zero percent chance that that yeah. is what he's saying over there. Right. So Agreed. I think you have to do a lot of assuming. Yeah, it's not the full Elijah Moore. You never go full Elijah Moore. Um, <laughs> by the way, as much as I like Elijah Moore, we're talking about Elijah Moore versus AJ Brown, who's been in a yeah, NFL right. receiver. Yeah, a little, right. little exactly. bit of a different right. cachet. Right. Right. And exactly. yeah, the stone worst thing you can do is your team wins a game and you pop up on tw- you will go to Twitter and you, yeah. you post about like about why you're not getting the ball or whatever. So that right. is um you know, shoot, even Drake London didn't do that after week one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I just think right. that like this type of stuff is is the thing that gets discussed in the media and, and people freak out about it, but it means like literally nothing to me, especially for guys like, I mean, AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts are like best friends. Yeah, um, really. So yeah, really. I don't know. It's crazy. All right. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, I, I mean, we, it seems like we talk about Puka Nakua a lot, but by God, I mean, this guy's just putting up ridiculous numbers though. I mean, bro. Matt Harmon, I don't understand, man. Like, <laughs> this guy pops up on the injury report. There's, like, questions like, oh, he's banged up. My dude's banged up. Puka Nakua banged up. <laughs> My guy saw 20 targets there week two. What's going on, man? <laughs> like, come on, dude. Like, like, this is like he's going full Calvin Johnson on us, man. Like, what? This is crazy. It's absolute madness what's happening here with Puka Nakua. Yeah, uh I was almost like I remember when he pops up on the injury, and I don't I don't wish injury on anybody. I'm not wishing injuries on Puka Nakua, but I was almost like, you know what? Maybe for like the sake of uh, the internet, it's maybe it's best he doesn't play just so like if he has like a one catch for eight yard performance against a tough 49ers defense, <laughs> like you don't get all the guys like I told you Puka's a fluke and blah blah blah. Like you know <laughs> you get those people out there, Victor Lab. Well, apparently shouldn't have even worried about that because he's just going to go out there and see twenty targets. You know, twenty targets. Um, 
absolutely outrageous. I mean, he's he's leading the NFL in a variety variety of receiving metrics. And this is Crazy. the funny thing too about Puka Nakua is like, um. I almost want to be like, you know what? Hey, listen, you should have read his reception perception report and, and saw the, all the great things I had to say about this player. But almost saying that feels so stupid, victory lapping it on the other side, because there was no way I was saying that he was going to have, you know, 20 targets in his second NFL game. So, Crazy. yeah, there were a lot. Of, there were a lot of really good things you could see about Puka Nakua. Um, but back at BYU and man, again, he just looks like. They just took that guy off the field and put him into the NFL, and he is doing that exact same stuff against the 49ers defense, a great defense, you know, a know. defense that should theoretically be ready to shut down a receiver like that. So it's just bizarre. It's just bizarre in a way that he's been able to be so productive. And like we've said, he's been doing it as an outside receiver. He's been doing it against man coverage. That's what we talked about from his reception perception profile last week. I just think the Rams, what's clear as day is just that, number one, they found something here with Puka. I think everything he I, – I don't know how the story ends, right? Like you can ask me like, all right, so what do we do with him from a, a dynasty perspective? I don't know, bro, because I don't know how this is going to end. I have no right. idea. I don't, Let me tell you what. I don't think he's going to see 20 targets every week, I guess, even though he just keeps <laughs> doing it. I know. I don't think he's going to see 15, 20 targets every week, anything like that. But I, what's clear is that they hit on a good player, and they've got like a guy who is going to be a good quality NFL player. I think we could just say that after two weeks and feel pretty good about it. It's also clear that Sean McVay is just like pitching heat right now, too. I think yeah, he's just yeah. been great. He, he's like a coach of the year candidate at this point. You know, Matthew Stafford looks great. The offensive Matthew Stafford yep. has taken one sack on the season, Crazy. and it was deep into the second half of this game. Uh, it's just a gr- it's great what's going on in L.A. right now. I mean, fifty five pass attempts for Matt Stafford. I mean, I I love it. <laughs> you know I mean? And and the guys. I mean, you talk about McVeigh throwing heaters. He at which he absolutely is. Stafford looks rejuvenated, man. Like his arm is live, boy. He's got some real whip uh, on some of these throws. And he's looking like, you know, prime Matt Stafford, 34, 55, 307, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, you bring up those sack totals, man. That's just, it's, it's insane. I, I mind is blown. The the offensive line, not very good going up against this San Francisco 49ers front seven. What? Come on, bro. Um, what they've got going on there, coach, uh, coach quarterback mind meld is really, really special. Um, I also really like the fat Matt that, um, that they basically, I don't, I don't know if they're going to cut cam makers, but they might cut cam makers. Who knows? Um, uh, we're back. <laughs> we're back. We're back, baby. We're back, baby. <laughs> I mean, again, it's like I, I went on, on my serious XM show and it's like, guys, it, it's almost as if the entire, like fantasy football community like the we just had like this mandela effect of cam Akers of like wait 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 are we all misremembering what happened last year i mean this exact same thing i mean it's the exact same thing and we were people were drafting this guy in the fourth fifth round acting as if it's impossible for that to happen again it happened in week one i mean that that's just crazy anyways but i like the fact that sean mcveigh um was like we got a, We got these cast of no namers at running back, man. Like, forget about trying to run the ball. Which, by the way, is important for McVeigh because I feel like his offense it's really built on that run, right? Like, you, he he is so good at generating the rush. But I think with this particular team, he says, "Eh, scrap it. Who cares? 
I don't care. We've got a bunch of no-namers at the running back position. I'm going to give Kyron Williams 14 carries, um, and then we're going to give Matt Stafford 55 freaking pass attempts. I love it. Uh, he, he's playing to his team's strengths, and he's figuring out a way uh, to get the ball out quick and, and to his playmakers. This is, It's been, as you mentioned, man, it has been a master class from Sean McVay. Yeah, Matthew Stafford, third in the NFL in dropbacks, uh, behind only C.J. Stroud and Mac Jones. Who could have seen that coming? Um, so that, that's pretty incredible stuff. But uh, yeah, I think that Kyron Williams is a great fit in this type of offense too, because his like skills coming in the NFL was like pass protection as a mm-hmm. third down back. You know, he sees ten yeah, targets yeah, yeah. in this game too. So it's all just kind of working together. Um, and man, you know, w- when Cooper Cup gets back, I've always said about Cooper Cup, he is the biggest he he, no other receiver like creates layups for his quarterback like Cooper Cup like that's why Jared Goff and him were like you know just such a great overlap of skill sets I think that's why Matthew Stafford was able to like bring out the best of Cooper Cup and Cooper Cup Mm -hmm. bringing out kind of the best of Matthew Stafford too and like Kyron Williams creating layups out of the backfield as a space back you know Puka Nakua just easy separation on like in breaking routes like slants and digs like we talked about last week crossing routes things like that that's just like such sean mcveigh stuff and like it also helps stafford to not be sitting back there and and waiting for like deep routes to develop that's why it's like i mean they're getting there they're able to pick their spots with tutu atwell down the field but you know they're not going to be waiting for like deep van jefferson routes to develop or anything like they they've got so many guys to get the ball out fast and to get the ball out quick too. And I think that's just going to continue uh, throughout so, the course of the season. You bring up Van Jefferson. I think he's a name that we should bring up because we certainly uh, touted the um, the late round appeal uh, of a Van Jefferson in fantasy drafts. But I think to your point though, with the quick game right now, um, is it just pretty much over for Van Jefferson? Yep, is over. he pr- pretty much just yeah. a, a guy that's just a, you know, a clear out type of dude and, and maybe pick some spots here and there. It's 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 just over over for Van Jefferson. Yeah, because he can really only do one thing well, which is is run deep routes. So there's going to be, I guarantee you, there will be a moment when he like hauls in a ma- big Matthew Stafford vertical pass. But mm-hmm. though, good luck trying to predict when those are going to be. And you're not going to throw the ball like I thought. There was a chance that okay, if they're if he, as as that vertical X receiver, they're going to have to come out here and you know throw seven six targets to van jefferson a game because um i didn't expect pukunakua to be a day one hit as a rookie i thought there was a chance he could contribute in his rookie season because i thought he should have been like more of a third late second round type of pick um you know that i think he was that type of player but like dude i mean with puka getting open so early in his routes uh, against man coverage as an outside receiver and then obviously, again, when Cooper Cup gets back, nobody dominates zone coverage. Nobody runs those underneath routes better than Cooper Cup. Like, yeah, it's high volume games for Van Jefferson are just going to not really come, I think, at this point. It's interesting. The last time that um, that you charted Van Jefferson in 2021, there's a lot of routes that he runs that I think work really well in this offense. You know, 81.5% success rate on the post, which is really good. Again, more of an in-breaking deeper route. 63.8% on the nine. I think that's solid. 69.6% success rate on the corner. Again, pretty solid. Not, nothing spectacular on the nine or corner, but solid. You know, solid, solid stuff. Now, I thought he was, you know, obviously with your charting information, a little bit below average on the dig route, which, as you would imagine, in 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 this offense is an important route to run. 
uh, no doubt. But 83% success rate on the curl. I mean, look, look, man, the guy can do some stuff on the in-breaking side that I thought, okay, this is why I was excited about Van Jefferson as a late-round dart throw. Yeah, this is the thing, though. You look at the two routes he, uh, he's the worst on is like dig routes and slant routes, and that's really what they're kind of – prioritizing yeah. right now like that <laughs> right. that's where puka naku is right. really good that's where cooper cup is really good and i think that having stafford sit back this line has outkicked expectations there's no doubt about it but having stafford like drop back and you know expose himself to big hits and stuff like that that's where it's going to be pretty problematic but there will be moments for van jefferson like he'll he'll have like he'll have moments but i just think at this point like this is the sort of thing we're adjusting to new information is is crucial this is yeah. not the type of offense I thought the Rams would be running. This, like again, quick strike, get it out fast. These guys who can separate. But the fact that Puka's emerged like this, and again, he has emerged in this way, and I, we think, I, I know I think that this is legit, and he will continue to not see 20 targets. Like We need to keep saying that. But he will continue to be a big factor and a contributing player. I don't know. <laughs> He's doing it. I will, I, he will continue to be a really big factor and a really, really good receiver for the L.A. Rams. Like They hit this draft pick, and they hit it big, and like it's not yeah. too early to say that. Yeah, absolute home run pick here for Puka Nakua and the Rams. All right, um, so we go from the positive to the negative side. The Bears, oh, my God. The Bears are an abject mess. Yeah. It's a disaster in Chicago right now, Matt Harmon. Um, by the way, Kyle Brandt calls out Chase Claypool, right? And Claypool just gets destroyed online, destroyed on social media. Um, and and there's real questions as to whether or not this dude's going to play in week number two. Not only does he play Matt Harmon, Chase Claypool sees eight targets what? <laughs> yeah. What is going on? Crazy, crazy stuff there in Chicago, but the offense looks like it's an absolute mess. Um, DJ Moore. I mean, there's all these cutups and stuff right now going on 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 online. If you go on Twitter and you know Justin Fields ain't it, and Justin Fields missing this read, Justin Fields holding the ball too long, doing all these different type of things. Um, look, the internet's having a field day with the Chicago offense. I don't know what are you seeing with Chicago, uh, but it certainly has through two weeks been a little bit of a mess. Yeah, this is one of those things where like you can get into debates and you can get into the weeds of um okay, what's what's really bad here? Like is it the receivers? Is it the coaching? Is it Justin Fields? And like the answer to it can just be yes. Yes. It is all <laughs> The answer is all, yes. <laughs> yes, it is all bad. Um right. I think that at times like last year, especially late, you know, now maybe like the middle of the season, Luke Getze can like had some decent ideas as an offensive coordinator, but the stuff they've been running out the first two weeks is like, I've never seen, um, I've never seen, you know, I, I, you mentioned Twitter's or having a field day. Like JT O'Sullivan is like recording 90 minute videos talking about the bears offense and just, you know, filleting this offense and definitely check it out. If you have, you know, QB school, JT does a great job. Um, but you know, and he's highlighted this. I, I have never seen two receivers line up as like the outside, like the outside receiver and then the slot receiver and run like a little curl route or a corner route in the end zone. Like that's never seen that happen before. Uh, you saw it again this week where two receivers, I think it was DJ Moore and Cole Komet, run the exact same like curl route, uh, like literally right next to each other. I mean, the spacing is atrocious. It's awful. 
Uh, the design is terrible. They're throwing these screen passes. You know, you, you throw a pick six on a screen pass to Shaquille Barrett. Disaster at the end of the Bucks game. You know, Justin Fields is absolutely passing up deep throws. Like, they're there. Downfield throws are there, but he he's not pulling the trigger, which is weird because he is like a big – he was a big game hunter when he hit the NFL Yeah, field. oh, yeah. Like that was absolutely. the thing about him. Yep. Almost yep. to a fault sometimes. You know, he's still taking – boneheaded sacks like the pass protection bad sacks bad sacks bad sacks and you know this is like they're another team that um i don't know that they have any difference makers and that's harsh when you think about dj Moore, who i think is a good like a good player Mm -hmm. um but i think that it was i mean how many times did people in the offseason conflate dj Moore? with like AJ Brown and Steph Diggs and those trade. And I mean, right. You just look at their reception perception results. And like DJ Moore is a good player, but he is not at that level. Like he's not an elite number one receiver. He's not a, you drop this guy into this offense and it fixes everything because he didn't do that for Carolina. The last, like the entire, yeah. the entirety of his career. <laughs> and I'm right. saying this as a, I like DJ Moore. I'm a fan of DJ Moore, the player, but I think that jumped the shark to the point where it's like, yeah, they probably went from the 32nd ranked receiver room last year to 18th maybe this past year. Cause like Darnell Mooney's probably a three and Clay- Chase Claypool at best is a three. And we definitely hadn't gotten his best the first, you know, th- uh, throughout the course of his bears career, what they're doing with Cole Komet, lining him up in like this track stance. It's bizarre. Um, I, I don't know. I, everything is kind of going wrong in Chicago. And I, I just feel like, I just have a tough time seeing how like Justin Fields sort of recovers from this and how the bears recover from this. I'm just confused to the Darnell Mooney usage. Uh, 30%. He only played 15 snaps, 30% of the snaps, offensive snaps there in a week. Did did get an injury uh, at one point during this game. So there is that. There is that. But again, but of those 15 snaps, I don't see him recording a single route run. So, I'm just, again, I'm a little bit confused by the usage. Um, then they go and they, they, by the way, they, they go out in free agency and woo Deontay Foreman. Then they spend a draft pick on Rashawn Johnson at running back. And then they go and make Deontay Foreman inactive. So I'm just, like I said, I think the personnel decisions are a little bit funky. As you mentioned, some of the technique stuff is a little funky. The route combinations are a little weird. I thought it couldn't get worse than when we had Matt Nagy. I really thought it couldn't get worse. Um, And right now what the Chicago bears are showing on film, it might be just a little bit worse because it's, it's nonsensical. It just, I I don't know. It just seems so weird to watch these guys play offense. It's one of the weirdest offenses I can remember watching. And it's pretty troubling, man. Uh, I definitely think it's really troubling and and so it's just it's it's sad for these guys like Fields who is a really talented quarterback but I really think these guys sometimes can only take so much uh can only take so <laughs> can only take so many things going wrong especially yeah. from the jump you know like with a lot of these quarterbacks I don't know with some of these guys like it it's just it's over before it really begins when your head coach Matt Nagy is going to run an offense in his rookie year that was like so suited to like quick game and and like Andy Dalton basically being your quarterback like it's the Andy Dalton offense they just drop Justin Fields in there 
That's right. tough. And then I know a lot of people are talking like, well, why don't they go back to the offense they ran last year uh, where they were, you know, doing all these design runs? Well, because <laughs> Justin Fields got obliterated last year. You guys right. not do we not remember that? Like right. that by the end of the, his run with the Bears last year, he wasn't even a viable NFL quarterback because he was so. And by the way, he just still clearly wasn't like a, an A tier passer or even close. No. And he was he was beat to beat to hell as a runner, man. It's like. I've told the story before, but like I remember interviewing him at the Super Bowl with Austin with Austin Eckler and, and Eckler saying like, you know, there's only one thousand yard rusher on this stage and it's not me and it wasn't me either. And it, it was it was Justin Fields. Like and, that is so and being, interesting. And, yeah. and being like, man, you know, maybe we'll see you run for a thousand yards. And and Justin, I can't remember if it's on camera or not, but Justin going like, man, God, I hope not. You know, like he, <laughs> he, he doesn't want to do that because who the hell right. would want to do that and get crushed? Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, they add DJ Moore and you're thinking, okay, they've got DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, who's coming back healthy and, uh, and Chase Claypool. Maybe they could, and Cole Komet, by the way, is I think a really good pass catching option too. Maybe they could just spread it out a little bit. You know, uh, they're going to go shotgun. And as a matter of fact, 92% of their offensive plays have been from shotgun, um, to, to start the season. Right. So, uh, they're trying to get fields comfortable. This is obviously the, the style of offense. Well, at least the formation of the style of offense that they ran at Ohio State, right? But but again, spread them out, you know, spread them out and do your thing. It's just I don't know, man. Like it, it's it's very weird uh, what they've got going on in Chicago, and, and it I can't believe I'm saying this, but there was a lot of hope and expectations coming into the season, and we're two weeks in, Matt, and I swear to God, it's it's gone. It's all over, the hope. Yeah. All the hope and aspirations, they've evaporated just like that in two weeks. It's crazy. That's how bad they've looked. Yep. And it's just not a good roster. I think that hope was misplaced for as much as like, all right, the Packers are turning over with Jordan Love and like, yeah, the Vikings are going to regress and the Lions, you know, are they really like a true blue contender or are they just like, you know, a plucky team from last year. You have all those questions, but it's like still, and all those things, by the way, have happened. You know, there's been mm-hmm. yeah some really great moments. There's been some uh, okay moments with Jordan Love. There's been the Vikings clearly have regressed, and the Lions are one and one. Right? They they beat the Chiefs, but then they lose to a fellow NFC team. But still, like all that stuff has happened. All that stuff has come to pass. But the Bears have just not made the leap because this offense. It, but this whole roster, like we haven't even talked about the defense, which might be even more unserious than the offense. And, and yeah, I I think it's pretty tough for Matt Eberflus, who I don't know. And I, I have no real, like, I I don't know much about him as a, I don't know him as a, really as a person at all. And then from a head coaching perspective, you know, I I don't know, but like, he's kind of supposed to be the effort and intensity coach. And yeah, I think you would have made a statement if you made Chase Claypool inactive after that kind of effort in week one. But instead, you go out there and he's like a featured part of the game plan. That's a tough look. Yo, this is the the, the really bad look, I think, for Matt Eberflus, is that this guy is supposed to be, like you said, an effort dude. And obviously, there's uh, a lot of question marks about effort uh, on this team. <clears throat> and then on top of that, he's supposed to be a freaking defensive guy. He's a former yeah. defensive coordinator. This is the worst defense in the NFL. I thought Again. it was going to be I thought it was going to be Arizona. It's Chicago. Chicago is the worst defense in the NFL. Uh, I mean Baker Mayfield out here slinging the rock. Okay, looking like looking like an absolute stud. Okay, from this Matt Eberflus offense or defense rather. And man, it's bad. It is really really bad. And I don't think look, I don't think they have a deep defensive roster, but they've got some guys. 
it's not like it's it's just completely bare bones. You know what I mean? Like look at yeah. look at the Rams defense. I mean, I know they've got Aaron Donald, right? But like everyone on the outside, who are these guys? Indianapolis Colts, who are these guys playing corner and, and safeties for them, right? Like I, I think Chicago's got some dudes that can play. But man, their defense is super disorganized. There's no communicate. It's the worst defense in the NFL. It's so such such a disaster, man. Such a it's disaster. It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. And like I feel bad for piling on in Chicago because not like you or I have any kind of like rooting interest uh, for Chicago right. or or anyone in the NFC North for that matter. It's like I mean, you know, you're you're a freaking you know Carolina dude. I'm like uh, over whoa, here in Cali with whoa whoa. whoa, whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, what do you mean? What, what are you wo- woeing me here about? Come on. I don't want to be associated with that team in Carolina. Okay. <laughs> All right, fine. Complicated relationship, as Matt always said, uh, with the Carolina Panthers. But no, I, I mean, again, it's just, I mean, I, I hate to pile on, but that's just, that's how bad it's, that's how shockingly bad it has been. Uh, in Chicago. All right. Anyways, our, our show is running long, man. We got to get the hell up out of here. Uh, but I tell you what, um, again, if you guys would uh, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, that'd be great. And you know what? If you want to tell a friend about the podcast, we ain't going to lie. We're, we're, we're not going to hate on that at all. So, uh, so yeah, anyways, uh, we got to get out, out of here. Double Monday Night Football uh, game here uh, this week and next week, which is a little bit uh, crazy here, which, but honestly, who's complaining about double Monday Night Football? Uh, I'm certainly not, at least not on the West Coast. Anyways, I feel great about that. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> anyways, we got to get, get up on out of here. Uh, for Matt Harmon, I'm James Coe. We'll see you.